0: If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to begin making your way to the Old Testament book of Daniel. As you can see behind me on the screen, we are going through a series called Likes. And if you have not been here in a while, it's a series that's really put together by... uh, People here at Harvest Hill, uh, we we took a poll about some top passages, top verses, top stories, or just stories you're interested in, and we we took the top nine because I, I took John three sixteen out of the equation. Uh, we're going to focus on that next week, but we took the top nine of everyone that we got, and we put together this series to look at some passages we may be familiar with, some of them we may not. Just thought that is an interesting passage. I'd like to know more about it, um, but I'm I'm pretty certain that if you spend any time in church growing up, you're you're fairly familiar with the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. It takes place in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Daniel is in the book in the Old Testament. It comes after the book of Ezekiel, and it's the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we get into this story, I want to set us up with a little bit of context beginning in Daniel chapter 1. It says that in chapter one and verse one, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon to the house of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. As you come into Daniel, one thing you have to keep in mind is this is a very dark period for God's people. Um, as we've been setting this up, last week we were in the book of Isaiah, and, and the message of, in Isaiah that we looked at last week was that judgment was coming because of the people of God were practicing idolatry. They were worshiping other things other than God, and they were serving false gods, and so God was handing them over to judgment, to discipline, because He loved them. He saw them go- going in the wrong direction and was trying to steer them back into the right direction. When we come into Daniel chapter 1, what we're finding is this judgment is coming to fruition as Babylon is coming out of the northeast into Jerusalem. Now the situation is uh, Babylon had issues with Egypt. And if you're familiar with the northeast at all, Egypt is on the other side of Israel. So they had to go through Israel to get to Egypt. So Israel, Jerusalem, and the, people, the Jewish people were really caught in the middle of this war of nations. And that's exactly where they were spiritually. See, they were neither hot nor cold with God. They were kind of in the middle. And so God put them in the middle of a major war going on between two powerful nations. Well, as Babylon comes through, this passage here in chapter one of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, besieging or sieging Jerusalem is not that the, the the first or not the last time that Nebuchadnezzar would siege it, it is not the time in which he destroyed Jerusalem, but in fact, Nebuchadnezzar had three attacks upon Jerusalem. The final one would bring Jerusalem to its knees. This point in time, he takes vessels from the house of God. These would be artifacts and, and tools that the people of God would use to worship the Lord. And he takes them back, if you notice, back to his God, which would be the main God of Babylon, being the name of Bel. And he brings them back before his God and places them in his God's sanctuary. And as the people of God watch this, they must have realized that they are doomed. The reality is none of this would have happened in Daniel if the people of God simply had listened to the word of God. Um, I've gone back to this several times the last several weeks. God established a covenant relationship with his people in Exodus. And if people of God would have lived in that covenant relationship, that, that relationship built upon promises and faithfulness, then none of this ever would have happened. God would not have had to bring discipline through destruction, through judgment, through these foreign nations, but because the people of God had become hard-hearted and felt that they were, weren't doing anything wrong, that they were living life the way they should be living it, God brought this judgment. Now, as he takes the vessels back, I don't want us really to focus on that As much as the statement, it was stating that God had removed His blessing of protection upon His people. And if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, we also find that Nebuchadnezzar has a training program. And so he takes some of the younger ones from Israel, some of the Jewish boys, teenagers most likely, and takes them back to Babylon in order to teach them and what would be the ways of the Chaldeans. He would be teaching them their, the military tactics. He would teach them their architecture, their, their uh, war skills. He would be teaching them philosophies and astronomy and, and how to worship their gods. This was a, a school but in the process, what it was meant to do for three years was to retrain these Jerusalem boys to begin worshiping the gods of Babylon and to forget about their obligations to the God of Israel, the one true God. If you're familiar with the story, Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, make a decision. They're not going to eat from the king's table, but they're going to eat food that they know God uh, has blessed and God has given them permission to eat Um, so they are basically refusing this they're basically refusing to have a a chef a professional chef for themselves because kings ate well and kings drank well and they had really good food and so they were basically saying no we're not going to do this but we're going to live in this foreign nation and we're going to serve our God the way we know he wants us to serve him. And this is a temptation placed before them, just like Satan places temptations before us. See, if if it doesn't appeal to you, then it's not a temptation. This temptation is that King Nebuchadnezzar brought him to his house. He gave him all of his food to eat at. He gave him all of his wine to drink. And they simply had to learn some new skills. In the process of learning new skills, they would be uh, becoming more developed into the, the Babylonian Empire. They would rise higher in the ranks if they would simply submit. And it's not that big of a deal, right? It's just food. It's just something to drink. It's just learning some new skills and some new things. It's not that big of a deal. And we can do the same thing when it comes to temptations. It's not that big of a deal. They could have looked around and seen all the other people within this program and said, well, everyone else is doing it. We might as well, too. But they had a commitment and a conviction concerning the Word of God. Well, time passes from Daniel chapter 1 to chapter 3. matter of fact, the time period is probably anywhere between 18 and 19 years. Since that time, Nebuchadnezzar has slept. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego begin to rise up in the ranks. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream one night in which none of his magicians and none of his aides can interpret, and he's ready to behead them all. And Daniel hears of it, and he comes to ask, why is there such a decree? Why is it so harsh? Why is the king so angry? And they reveal that because Nebuchadnezzar can't understand his dream. Well, Daniel comes, and he interprets the dream. He makes sure that Nebuchadnezzar knows that it is the one true God who gives him the wisdom into the mysteries of the king. And we find this declaration near the end of chapter two, which sets up the events in chapter three and beginning in verse 47, the king said to Daniel, your God is indeed God of God's. Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, since you are able to reveal this mystery. And then the king promoted Daniel and he gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. And at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to manage the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. And this sets up the events in chapter 3. And which is known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And immediately as we come into chapter 3 after the proclamation of the king in chapter 2, we have to ask what happened. If you're not familiar with the story, the story goes that the king builds this massive golden statue in which he proclaims that everyone within the Babylon, or everyone within the empire in the province of Babylon, must bow down and worship the statue when the instruments sound. How did this come about? He just made a proclamation concerning Daniel to Daniel in verse 47. Your God is indeed God of gods. Your God is indeed the Lord of kings and he is a revealer of mysteries, since you were able to reveal this mystery. How did he go from that revelation to that proclamation of God to the point that he is now building this massive golden altar in which he's calling people to bow down and worship? The reality is, is King Nebuchadnezzar was not making a profession of faith. Look there in verse 47. He says that your God, your God, King Nebuchadnezzar's use of language is saying that he's not my God. He's your God. I understand that he is a God. I realize that. I recognize that there is a mighty power in the God you serve, but he is still your God and he is not my God so many people today recognize God as being God. They recognize this idea of eternal life and in, in heaven, but they don't actually have a belief in it. King Nebuchadnezzar did not have a belief in God. He did not have a profession for God. The difference between recognizing and believing is I can recognize, yeah, there's some sort of higher power out there. There's, uh, there should be something after this life. There's a purpose and a meaning to this life, and I can recognize that. But by my belief in God and my belief in eternal life, my belief in Jesus Christ, it changes the way I live. See, when I believe in the one true God, when I believe in Jesus Christ, when I believe in his sacrifice, it is a change in the way I live. My allegiance has changed from this world to the eternal. My my issue of control and this false idea that I am actually have power to do whatever I want, it changes, and it hands it over to God. King Nebuchadnezzar was not going to come to that point. He was the most powerful man in the world at this point in time. Why was he going to relinquish control over to a nation who served a God whom he had conquered? They were his slaves now. They were destitute. They had to do his bidding. And what happens by the time we come into chapter 3 is we have fast-forward 16 to 18 years, or 18 to 19 years from chapter 1, and King Nebuchadnezzar has finally laid Jerusalem to waste. It is flattened. There are only remnants left within the the city of Jerusalem and within Israel. And I believe at this point in time in Daniel chapter 3, even though he recognized God as a powerful God, King Nebuchadnezzar began to boil up pride. Look what I have done. I have conquered the known world. I have brought the Israelites to their knees. I have put Egypt in its place, and I am the one God of this world. And so in honor of his power, in honor of who he thought he was, he declares in verse 1 of chapter 3 of making a gold image 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. That's about 9 feet wide. That's about half the height of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. This is a massive statue of gold. Why gold? So when the sun hits it, you know what happens? Boom, it radiates light. And he puts it in a place called the Plain of Dara, which is believed to be a, a circled valley in which people could gather all around it and you would be able to see this statue from miles away, especially when the sunlight hit it. And then King Nebuchadnezzar reveals the real purpose of this statue. Verse 4. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship. You are to worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, but whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Verse 7 says, Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Man, what a situation. We need to keep in mind that at this point in time, This attack was only against the people of God. All the other nations that Babylon had captured and brought into their their reign had already worshipped false gods, so this wasn't a big deal. You're just adding another god to the list. But to the people of God, this was breaking the law and commandments of God. You shall worship no other gods besides me. You should not build for yourself a false idol. You should not bow down and worship a false idol carved by men. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing here, and the noise of the instruments begins to resound. Every single individual begins to bow down, but they don't. See, the reality is Satan was working in this, Satan was going after the people of God and after the people's convictions their obedience to God and their serving God and worshiping Him alone. Just as Satan is after you and me today in our conviction, our worship, and our obedience to God. Satan doesn't care about Islam. He doesn't care about ISIS. He doesn't care about Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. They lead people away from the truth. Satan doesn't care about preachers who preach a false gospel. They lead people away from truth. He will bless them. He He will let them have whatever way they want. He will give them the world. As long as they can pull people away from the eternal truth of God. But Satan will come after you. He will come after me. He will try to pull us from our allegiance, our obedience, our service, our worship of God. And it will be in a similar situation. Just put yourself there. You're looking all around. What What is the most logical thing to do to not draw attention to yourself? You bow down and worship. And and if we were there, we could rationalize it. Everyone's doing it. You know, it's not really that big of a deal because, you know, I I won't actually worship. I'll just go through the motions. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were making a life and death decision by taking a stand for what they believed in. Life and death. And so the Scripture reveals there in chapter 3, Jump with me to verse 12. The revelation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's stance was brought to King Nebuchadnezzar, and his advisor says, there are some Jews that you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Furious rage. See, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing in this very moment is they were stating that we are going to serve God and God alone. We don't care how much power this king thinks he has. We don't care how big his statue is. We don't care what's going to happen if we don't do what he says. God is our number one priority. I know Scripture says that we should uh, observe every authority that God has placed over us, whether it's Republican or Democrat or green tea or whatever. (laughs) Every authority. But the ultimate authority of our life is to be God. And when the authorities of this world counter the authority of God, then we have to take a stand. And it's going to make us uncomfortable. It may put us in situations that we get attacked even more fiercely. We may be thrown into the fires. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't care. They were going to live for God, and they were going to die for God, and that's how their life was going to be defined. God was going to be the focus. Even though the king had fed them, he had clothed them, he had protected them, he had gave them everything the world could possibly give them, God was still their God, and he alone was worthy of their worship. So the king brings them before him. He's in a furious rage at me. (laughs) Just picture his face boiling red and the veins of his neck popping out. Parents, you've never been there, right? Right, amen, yay, all right. So King Nebuchadnezzar, and I got to give him credit for this because he was so upset. He was so angered. He was such a furious rage, but he did not lash out. He brought these men before them to personally inspect the matter. In verse 14, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Now, if you're ready... In case you, you misinterpreted what I told everybody to do, in case you didn't hear it correctly, now that I bring you before you, see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you've been talking a big game, but now that I'm going to call you out in public, I'm going to see if you're actually going to walk this big game that you're talking. So now if you're ready, when you hear all these instruments, you are going to bow down to the statue that I have made, but if you do not worship it, You will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Man, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's quite a guy, doesn't he? Who's going to rescue you from my wrath if you don't do what I tell you to do? I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. Verse 16. They replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. Meaning their minds had had already been made up before they were placed in the situation. The situation wasn't going to change their conviction. It wasn't going to change their belief. It wasn't going to change their view of God. It had been set. This is what believers need in this life and this world is we have to have our convictions and our hearts set upon the word of God before we enter into the times where we're going to be persecuted. Because if we are not standing tall with God, but bowing to the world whenever it's convenient or wherever we feel the pressure, there's going to be a time we're going to do it and we're actually going to be a stumbling block to those who are coming after Him. They look at the king and says, we don't need to answer you. We've already made up our mind before you even brought us to your your company. We've already made up our mind before you even uh, let the veins in your neck pop out. In verse 17, they said, if the God we serve exists, they weren't doubting it at that point in time. It's because that was the accusation King Nebuchadnezzar was bringing to them. He says, if he exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, O king. But, Even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Basically what they were doing is they were looking at the most powerful man in the world and they say, we don't care what you say or what you threaten to do. We're not going to do it. This is a life and death decision. We're not going to do it. They understood the consequences. They understood the fire was lit. The Babylonians used a furnace. There were furnaces all around uh, where the Babylonian empire was situated. We've, we've, I haven't, but other people have dug them up and we found them. This was a place of torture where when anyone would discredit the king, when anybody would discredit the Babylonian empire, the result was they would throw them into a furnace and they would offer them to their god, Gera, who was the god of fire. And so it would cleanse the empire, and it would cleanse uh, the discrediting of the king and his power. So this furnace was normal. Being brought up and for three years, understanding the customs of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, they would understood what was going to happen. And when people go in the furnace, they don't come out. But they looked at their king, and they said, "We don't care what you do, what you threaten." What you're going to uh, do to us, we are not going to bend the knee to you because we serve the one true God. Do what you want. And so obviously what happened, verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and his expression on his face changed. But once he looked on these three men as, wow, man, Daniel and these three guys, they're just rising up. They've really become a part of this world. They're 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 just the the next ones up. His view of them changed completely. They're traitors. They don't appreciate anything I've done for them. And so he orders the the furnace you can read on to be lit seven times hotter than normal. The story says, in the Bible right there in chapter you can read on, that the men who were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, that when they got in to throw them in, they were consumed by the heat. I mean, they died when they were throwing these men in there. That's how hot it was. Now, I've been at some pretty hot bonfires. The first weekend here, I mean, there was some sort of liquid substance uh, put on uh, the Campbell's bonfire, and I don't know if that was like off the black market or what, but... You I was I remember when the thing lit up. I was standing on the deck and and there were you know because men just gravitate where fire might be. Oh, fire, fire. And so there were guys lighting it, and all of a sudden, like I see this. I mean it's like you had like a hundred Christmas trees all wrapped together and just lit up at once, and I could feel the heat from the back deck. But there were men and children playing less than 50 feet away from this thing that were not consumed by that heat. The Bible says King Nebuchadnezzar was so mad at these three guys that he had the thing lit seven times hotter than normal that the individuals who were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in were consumed. They died because of the heat. It was so hot. Verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said, didn't we throw three men in? We had, it was three, right? Just three, right? Yeah, of course, Your Majesty. Verse 25, he exclaimed, look, I see four. And they're not tied. And they're walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like son of the gods. That phrase is Nebuchadnezzar is trying to give an understanding to what he's seeing with his very eyes. Son of the gods wasn't a proclamation that he was believing in Jesus. Some people believe that is Jesus manifesting himself in the Old Testament. Some believe it's the Lord in the midst of the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some believe it's maybe an angel of the army of the Lord right in there. We don't know for sure. But what we know is that God did not stop his children from going into the fire. But when they were in the fire, God was there with them. He did not abandon them but he went in the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar calls out for Shadrach, Meshach, and Mendo to come out and he investigates. And again, he makes another proclamation about their God and how powerful their God is. And then he issues the decree. that Nothing be said against their God. Man, would we do the same? If our faith was tested, I highly doubt in this next week or in this next year that we will ever be faced with a life and death decision based upon our faith in Jesus Christ in America. I just don't see it happening within the year. There is going to come a time, though, where it will. Where we will either bow the knee to some false god or we will stand and suffer the consequences. See, every single day, every single uh, moment of our life, every single decision we make, we're making a very similar decision as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make. What are we going to worship? What are we going to serve? What is going to be the most important thing in our life? And every decision we make, is based upon that conviction. Is it going to be God? Is it going to be for his glory? Is it going to be representing him? Or is it going to be, well, everyone else is doing it this way? Well, it's really not that big of a deal. No one will ever find out. You know, there are people doing a lot worse things than what I'm doing. See, as God's people, we have to make a stand that God is the one true God and his ways are right even if we don't understand them completely, even if they're tough in situations we find ourselves in, that we're going to live according to the word and will of God no matter who's in power, no matter who's threatening us, no matter what's going on, even if it means we're going to lose our job. I'm going to do it God's way. As you see here, God didn't stop them from going in the fire, but he blessed them in the midst of the fire. And Sometimes that's where faith Not sometimes. That is where faith comes in. I found in my own life that the times where I have to make a decision and I'm going back and forth, I can allow fear to be a driving point of that decision. Fear of the unknown. Fear of maybe giving up some power, control. Fear of what other people may think. Fear of hurting people's feelings. Fear of uh, of maybe putting someone off. And I've come to reality as I was thinking about this week, the decision they had to make and decisions that we have to make every single day comes down to one choice. The choice is this. We're either going to live for God or we're going to live in regrets. We're either going to live for God or we're going to live in regrets. If you sat and thought about it, as I have sat and thought about this week, the biggest regrets I have in my life are those moments where I lived outside of the will of God. So every choice that comes along, whether it's big or small, how to discipline my kid, how to to budget money, is am I going to live for God or am I going to live for regrets? Am I going to live knowing I did what I was commanded and supposed to do or am I going to live in a moment where I'm going to wonder, what if? What if I would have done that? What if I wouldn't have done that? No doubt we are all in this room and we all have things in our life that are moments of regrets. And I believe we move into those, those moments we don't make a decision for God because of fear. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of sound judgment or sound mind. I bet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were scared. Hey, basic conclusion, we don't care. Throw us in, we don't care. God can save us if he wants, but if he doesn't, well, there was no fear. Why? Nebuchadnezzar recognized God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God. They knew God. They knew He was a God who fought their battles. They knew He was a God that could not be dethroned, not be disgraced. And they knew He was the one true God. And because they knew God, they were also known by God. King Nebuchadnezzar had some ideas about God. He knew of God, but he didn't know Him personally. We stand here together as the children of God. We've been given the spirit of God, and by the promise of God, it's not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind or self-control. And I've asked my wife to come and sing a song to capture this truth. chapter 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Apostle Paul understood this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, where he says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Verse 35 says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He's going to say, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know what you're facing in life. I don't know what decisions are coming today and the rest of this week, but I know there are going to be decisions where you're going to have to decide, am I going to live for God or am I going to live in regrets? And do not let those decisions be based upon fear because we are conquerors because of Jesus Christ. He has given us the victory and there's nothing we have to fear because we know our God is for us, not against us. He's given us a spirit of power and love and self-control, not a spirit of fear. And so this week, my challenge for us all as children of God is to reach out to those individuals that God has placed in our life and invite them to come to church, invite them to hear about how much God loves them. We have a week until Easter where we celebrate our Lord and Savior rose from the grave. And those are conversations I know many of you have wanted to have and there's been that spirit of fear. What am I going to say? Are we going to trust God? Some of you all have decisions in work. Some of you all have decisions with your kids. Some of you all have decisions with your relationships. Some of you all have decisions with your finances, your hobbies. What are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? The Bible says that God loves us, and our God is passionate for us, and he calls us to live passionately for him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to come to a decision on what they were going to worship, and so as we come to this point, it's now the same decision we have to make. What are you going to worship? So you and I were created to worship. It's in our DNA. We're going to worship something. Worship is basically just lifting something up and giving it value in our life. And we're going to worship something. At this point in time, the reality is there's a God who's worthy of our worship because he loves us. And he's inviting us all into a relationship with him if we've yet to accept his love for us. The Bible says we all sin. We all fall short. But because God loves us, he sent his only son to die for our sins and rise again, that we can be forgiven. And if we believe that that's true, we don't just recognize we believe it. We place our faith and our trust in it. The Bible says we can be saved. And we can be saved by no other means but through Jesus Christ. The Bible finally says, in order to accept this great gift of love, we have to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we come to this time of invitation. This is what I'm inviting you to do or what God is inviting you to do. I'm going to stand right here. And if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the reality is you're heading to a fiery furnace just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were placed in front of. But God has brought you this place to rescue you from that and to come into his loving arms. i to ask the worship team to come on up. Maybe you're here and you've got a battle going on in your life and you're just scared about one way or the other. But you know what you should do. You're just scared about that decision. Are you willing to come and lay that before the Father and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be obedient to you and I'm going to worship you alone in this this decision. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that we don't have to be scared of anything because you're for us, not against us. Lord, thank you that they can threaten us. They can kill our body, but they can't kill our soul because it belongs to you. Lord, if there's someone here today has yet to accept you as Lord and Savior, and they need to make sure that their soul belongs to you, Father, I ask you to give them the courage in this moment to come forward and let it be known that they want Jesus in their heart. They want your Holy Spirit. They want the forgiveness for their sins. They want to be a child of God. Thank you, Lord. There's not a storm in our life you have not seen. There's not a thing that happens in our life that takes you by surprise. You are faithful. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. We praise all in your Son's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sit.